0: Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter two. You know, I've I've told you probably a hundred times now that this year really is all about thinking about Jesus Church. And um, we'll get into some of those details as we go, but one of the things I think is really important is that we have a context for what is the Church of Jesus Christ, and um, who makes up the Church of Jesus Christ, and what is this whole thing about? And so um, today, we're going to answer the question, who is the Church? Who, who is the Church? And then next week, we'll talk about who is the Church's head. And both uh, come up in our passage in Ephesians chapter 2. And one of the reasons that Ephesians chapter 2 is so important is because it connects the nature of our Christianity intimately to the life of the church of Jesus Christ, him being our head. And usually we think about our Christianity kind of just in um, kind of a private me and Jesus kind of thing. And we've so lost the beauty of the church, the way scripture exalts the church, Um, even Christ adores His church, we've lost so much in uh, the previous couple generations that I want to make sure that as we talk about details, we actually understand what we're talking about. And we're all on the same page about how glorious Christ's church is and how beautiful it is that we are a part of it. And so, um, Ephesians chapter 2, let's read beginning in verse 1. so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Good Father, we praise You for mercy like this. We praise You for a church You are making for Yourself. And we praise You that we are partakers of grace that we have hardly ability to begin to understand. And we pray that your power would rest in your church this morning and encourage us by your gospel. Teach us your truths. Call people to yourself who have yet to believe this gospel. Do work that only you can do by your great power as we preach Christ crucified and risen again on our behalf and as our only boast. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Ephesians is just a beautiful book. And in chapter 1, you have all these glorious truths about God working in history to make a people for himself. And then in the second half of chapter 1, you have this prayer of the Apostle Paul for the Ephesian church. And they have faith, and um, he prays for them that they might know this God who has redeemed them and know the great power that he has exercised on their behalf to redeem them and then says in verse 22 of chapter 1, which is our context, and he put all things under his feet. That's Jesus. This is Jesus, the risen Jesus, who's ascended to king over the world. You realize Jesus is actually king of the world. He actually, he's actually king and actually running the world as king. All the time. Every day. Do you actually think like that? Is that the grid through which you view the nature of what this world is? It is under Him. And, and then um, put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church. And so He is head over the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So... Um, Scripture uses many metaphors like bride, body, etc. for what the church is. But who, who, is, who is the church? And I would just simply say, define it like this. The church is all of God's redeemed by the blood of Christ. The church is all of God's redeemed by the blood of Christ. And I think it's important that you remember here in Ephesians chapter 2, when the Apostle Paul's recounting the nature of the gospel and the nature of your conversion from being lost to being saved, you know, from being lost to being found, when he's, he's doing that, he's actually writing to a church. And so it's, 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 it's interesting because he puts these little reminders in there like, remember this about you, and this was true about you, and he's, he's, he really is preaching the gospel to those in Ephesus, and so my desire this morning is to preach the Gospel to you. To those who know Christ. To those who are considering Christ. To those who don't yet know Christ. Because it is this is the heart and core of who the church of Jesus Christ is. And as we talk about details of the church, we have to remember this. Remember from Colossians chapter 3. Chosen ones, holy and beloved. Well, this is because... Of truths found in Ephesians chapter 1 and in particularly verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. So, um, we are the people who are God's redeemed if we have believed. These truths are true if you are a Christian of you. And if you are not yet a Christian, we want these truths to be true of you before you leave, they're that important. And so let's just walk through this. Chapter two, verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, stop there. I can't say everything I'm going to say, but the point is, is that he's reminding the church there was a time when you were dead, spiritually dead, spiritually lifeless, dead to God in your trespasses, your law-breaking and sins, your rebellion against God, you were dead to God in those. Because sin is death. And sin is trespass. And you're dead spiritually to God. And this is true. Well, uh, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Verse 2, in which you once walked. You actually... Trespassed God's law and walked in it. You know, it w- you walked in it as normally as you walked around this morning. You, know, you walked into church. You, as normal as walking is, you were dead in those sins that you walked in in your life. They were just a normal part of your life in which you once walked. And then he gives descriptors of the nature of this deadness and of the nature of the trespasses and sins, or not the nature of the trespasses and sins, but uh, the additional darkness that we were captive to following the course of this world. What's the course of this world? The course of this world is we reject God and we will establish ourselves as God. We reject the God of Scripture, the God who is, the God who is the creator of all things going all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God established His law in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. And if you haven't read that and you don't know it well, go back and read the beginning again because this is where this all started. And in the garden began following the course of this world, which was to reject God's truth and reject God's goodness and reject God's purpose and reject God's kindness and grace and mercy and reject God's wisdom and pursue our own. And that's the course of this world. And ever since then, that's been the course of this world. And that's the course of, in which you once walked, you once were. That's the Apostle Paul's point. The question for you is, do you know that about yourself? Do you know that about yourself? That this is that's what the Apostle Paul wants for you when he wrote this by the Holy Spirit as a as a pastor is do you know this about yourself? You remember have you remembered this about yourself any time recently? Don't you want the Apostle Paul just to relent right here? Don't you want him to kind of back away from the pressure to remember the nature of what we once were and the sins in which we once walked and how horrific they are following the course of this world and our God rejection? The Apostle Paul never relents when you want him to. He presses further. What does he say next? Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Now here's something you do not believe about you. If anything is lost in the church today, and many things are lost in the church, but if anything is lost in the church today, it is the doctrine of the nature of our sin. We just don't really want to believe we're actually sinners. And, and usually, when we're kind of under the nature of condemnation that we shouldn't be under as Christians, that's actually really just our own pride. <laughs> we just don't want to believe that we're sinners. And we certainly don't want to believe this. Because what is he saying? Following the prince of the power of the air. Who is the prince of the power of the air? It's the evil one. This is Satan. This is the most powerful dark angel. Now, some of you think that's crazy. It's because you're American Westerners. You don't have to be a member of the occult to understand the nature of of Satan. And you don't have to be a wacko. The whole world knows that there is dark powers. Just arrogant materialistic Westerners who don't know that there's an unseen realm always at work around us all the time. The prince of the power of the air following Satan. I thought that was only for those who, you know, we call Satanists today. No, it's everyone. It's everyone. Either scripture is true or it's not. And you know what I say? I say what scripture says. Let's let God be true and every man a liar. Following the prince of the power of the air who comes up in Ephesians repeatedly As Satan, the enemy, called this because he is ruling this world from the unseen realm. He's carrying out his power, not ruling in the way that Jesus is ruling, but he's carrying out his power from the unseen realm. That's why he's called the Prince of the Power of the Air. The spirit that is now at work, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, the evil angel. Satan, who is the ruler of the, uh, all of his minions, the demons, the other evil angels. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, you know, the way I like to say it is, um, if, you could, if, you could, if you would imagine the most evil human ruler that you can think of. Let's just say Hitler, because that's where everybody wants to go. Let's just say, let's just consider Hitler for a moment. And, you know, there are, there are people who don't know Christ who actually understand this simple thing, that the lesson in Nazi Germany and with someone as evil as Hitler is not that you wouldn't be a Nazi because you're so much smarter and better. It's that you would be and you would follow Hitler. because you were following one far more evil and sinister and powerful than Hitler. Don't worry, they're just going to fix my eyes from the sun. It's important that you understand when you're following the prince of the power of the air, you want to. It's not like we're arrogant. We do not have faith in what Scripture says about ourselves and the nature of how heinous our sin is. We do not have faith in that. We want to. And it's awful, but it's just true. We weren't fighting Him. We were following Him like a dark army marching. Taking every order. The desires of our heart just naturally went that way. Following the prince of the power of the this The spirit that is now powerfully at work in the sons of disobedience. All of humanity is where He's starting to get at, right? In verse 3, "...among whom we all..." The Spirit is working the whole world. All the sons of disobedience, all who God has made and have rebelled against Him, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. You know, our angry, our covetous, wanting and wanting and wanting our way. And our stuff, and somebody else's stuff, our envy, and our jealousy, and our greed, and our always, always living according to the passions that our flesh carrying out the desires of the body. Whatever the whatever the body wants, the body gets. And the mind, whatever the mind can conjure up to pursue, it pursues no matter how evil. And justly it is said of us, and we're by nature children of wrath. Why does it say children of wrath? Well, it's similar to sons of disobedience. We're children of wrath because we're born into the world under condemnation. We're born into the world cursed of sin. We are born into the world rebels. We are born into the world God-rejecting, God-hating little children. That's how we are all born into this world. Every single last one of us. We deserve from birth the wrath of God. Children of wrath, we deserve the judgment of God. You say, if that's true, then God isn't good. And I say, no, it's exactly because He is good. And you are not. say, then God's not kind. And I say, do you think every human court judge should just let evil have a pass? Do you think justice is a bad idea? So is God not good and God not kind and God not a just judge because you stand in judgment over Him? Do you not hear your own heart constantly exalting yourself over who God says He is and what we deserve. All of it is exactly what I'm saying. This is who we are. Apart from Christ. And if we have Christ, then there's that whom we all once lived. In which you once Walked, which means something gloriously changed. We nature by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In other words, all of his point here, for the rest of these verses, is going to be, there's nothing different about you than the rest of mankind at its start. There's nothing better about you than the rest of mankind. You should tell yourself when you wake up every morning, I was once a child of wrath. But something changed. I was once a son of disobedience. Have you told yourself that any time recently? I was once a son of disobedience. Bring that to God. Verse four. Two of the best words together in Scripture and in The history of God making a church for Himself. But God. In other words, this whole thing is about the acting power of God upon sons of disobedience and upon children of wrath, upon those who stood condemned and had absolutely no hope of escape of that condemnation on their own, had no way to figure out how to escape God's judgment and His condemnation. God acted upon people like that. And that's why it says, but God, being rich in mercy, didn't in other words, didn't treat you according to the judgment and justice that you deserved, but He had merciful, compassionate pity upon you. You Satanists upon you. But God being rich in mercy, this is His pity his compassion upon you didn't treat you according to the condemnation you deserve, but had pity upon you because of the great love with which He loved us. One of the things I want you to know as much as anything, is the great love with which he loved you who believe. I don't even hardly know how to use illustrations to try to help understand that. I know that one thing to use propositions like well clearly we didn't deserve that I remember and these are this is just small shadow these are small shadows I remember um, confessing my love to my now bride for the very first time over McDonald's breakfast in college was gloriously romantic with that sausage McMuffin with egg. And we had been dating, I don't know, a little while. But I had been in love with her for a while. I was just starting to get really honest with myself about it. And, you know, I just told her, hey... I just want you to know, I just, I love you, and I'm in love with you. And then I told her, you know, this is like, you know how dating is so awkward. And I was trying to do it well, and, you know, and I didn't want to go in like a sap and think that the only way that, you know, is I had to hear that back from her right then, you know, trying to just be careful. And, and I just told her that, and I said, I don't think, I don't expect you to have to say that back to me right now. I don't expect, you know, you didn't, didn't, I don't have any need to, for you to communicate that back to me at all right now. Um, you can think about it, but I just want you to know, it's true from me to you. And so, um, of course, she didn't say it right then. And then, I don't know, it seems like a couple weeks passed and I don't even know the details anymore. I don't know if we went and got breakfast at McDonald's again. She told me the same thing over another sausage muffin with egg. It's one of the reasons I love that sandwich so much. (laughs) There's something powerful. It's not romantic when it comes to God our Father and the love of Jesus Christ. his church and the father to his children it's not romantic in that sense but there's something powerful about the confession of love and when we read in scripture when the apostle Paul says this and he says but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us Like a good father full of just bursting with affection and love. Because we were the most lovable people. Because he looked at us and thought, man, they're just so worthy of my love. Because he thought, man, they're getting all of the people of the earth, they're getting it figured out. And I, my love is growing for them because they're getting it figured out. They're actually, they're finding their way to turn the earth into a place like Eden. Is that what the passage says? No, it says because of the Great love with which he loved us. Parents, fathers especially. When God's saying this, part of the way he's saying it is he actually is winning our hearts to what he is to us in real time and in history. He's actually winning our hearts by his love. This is why we love him because he first loved us. why my wife melted into a puddle when I confessed my love to her and then she was ready to respond in a couple weeks. <laughs> but you win your, the hearts of your children by your love for them. Because your children d- always deserve it by what they do. your children are lovable all the time? Parents? Oh, they're your children. They're your children. And you love them. And you win their their hearts to yourself through the, the love that you've shown them. And this is what God has done with us. He has acted upon us in history and He has won our hearts to Himself because of the great love with which He loved us even when... Here. The Apostle Paul can never go along without telling you you're a sinner. Like that simple principle would just be helpful for the whole church to know today. The Apostle Paul doesn't go that long without doing that. (laughs) Even when we were dead in our trespasses... He loved us even though all of our offenses weren't just to somebody else. And you think about yourself. Fathers and mothers. It's one thing for your child to sin against somebody else. It's a whole other thing for them to look you in the eye and show you just pure Disrespect. isn't it? And that's how you have to see, in a small way, the greater sin that is high-handed disregard and disrespect, choosing the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, into God's face, and God just looks at you and says, I love you so much. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we are dead in our trespasses. And you think, a lawbreaker who trespasses an earthly law and ends up in a courtroom, their offense isn't directly against that judge. And so that judge's love for you is no comparison to the nature of what is being said here because when God is judge, all of the offenses are actually against Him. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did God do because He set His love upon you who believe? He made us spiritually alive. He brought us from death to life with Christ, made us alive together with Christ. And this is why it says, by grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, not just, grace is not just some feeling in God towards you. That's kind of all we want to turn God into today when we talk about things like grace is You know, just something emotional in heaven because all we care about is our emotions. And so we've done that with Him and so we've done that with grace. And it's not just an emotion in God towards you. It's His powerful working that you don't deserve to make you alive together with Christ. Grace is power that transforms you And it is, a, it is a power that transforms you and it is a favor that God gives you. By grace doesn't just mean by His favor that you don't deserve. It means by the working of His power that you also don't deserve. Do you realize how much power it takes to save a sinner like you? The Apostle Paul wants you to know the kind of power. That's why he actually prays this for the Ephesian church. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. His grace that takes you from being dead by an act of God upon your heart and life to being alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Saved just to show up at church on Sunday? Saved to now think that living a good, clean life is all that there is. Saved to what? Saved to a heavenly places and raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Seated us. Raised us. To heavenly places. With the resurrection and ascension of Christ. In other words the point is. In Christ you have a seat. Around the throne of Christ. Where he is. Seated us. Positionally, you are seated with Christ where Christ is because Jesus has brought you to, because you are made alive with Jesus. You are so in union with Jesus because of the work of Jesus and the power of God's grace upon your life. You can consider yourself as being seated with Him where He is. His work is so complete that that's true of you. And one day will be your full experience. But it's so true of you. If you're thinking scripturally, it's so true of you that you consider this to be something that's actually done. By grace you've been saved, raised us up with Him and seated us with Him. In heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, this is the place where we will be, but it's also the place, because the work of Christ is so complete, in which we are. You've been reconciled to God. That's the point. You've been reconciled to God from the alienation to intimacy to sit with Jesus where He is. This is where your truest life is. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? That in the coming ages there's actually, you're going to keep learning and growing about the great love that God has shown you. You're going to keep learning about the grace and kindness, the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards you. That's a process that's never going to stop. You feel the Apostle Paul, as soon as he says that, kind of draw back just a hair and say, but, but it's not this. It is this, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. But then he says it again. This is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. For by grace, the powerful working of God and the favor of God upon you, that you absolutely... It's not even true to say it just like this. This is how you've heard it. Grace is um, giving you what you don't deserve. Did I say that right? Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. It's more than that. Grace is the power of God upon your life to save you and the favor of God upon your life because He loved you when you were ill-deserving. It's not that you just didn't work hard enough to not deserve it. It's that you were actually ill-deserving and that's the grace by which you were saved. How? faith it's so important that every person here understands that you are saved the moment you are saved is the moment you have believed listen to me the moment you have believed is the moment you are saved so that's all I have to do in one sense that's it. That's it. By grace you have been saved through faith, believing the words of what God says about Himself and Jesus. The only reason that this passage of Scripture is possible and the only reason that you or I or anyone else can stand here and acknowledge these truths of Scripture is because we have believed something. And what we have believed is what Scripture teaches about Jesus. And the simple way to say it is God created everything Man rebelled against God. Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3. Man rebelled against God, lived their own way, and God loved the world and sent Jesus to be the Savior of sinners, to seek the lost and find them, to find the sick and heal them. Jesus came into the world. And Jesus, the God, man, living a perfect life, died on a cross, and when he died on that cross, he actually paid this sin penalty. See, in Ephesians chapter 2, God's not just overlooking our sin as if it never happened. What Ephesians chapter 2 is assuming the rest of the gospel message, which is Jesus actually died to pay the penalty to satisfy God's just judgment against those who followed the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air and who were sons of disobedience and children of wrath, Jesus died to pay the penalty for that. So that God isn't just overlooking your sins, He's paying for them by the blood of Christ so that you can be forgiven through faith. Not by stopping sinning yourself. Not by uh, being better than the next person down the road, not by any other means, not by any other so-called God. By Jesus alone and his shed blood on the cross. Through faith in Jesus. If anyone confesses Jesus is the Lord and believes that God raised him from the dead, they shall be saved. By nothing else. This is the free gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But what kind of belief are you talking about? What kind of faith are you talking about? I'm talking about the kind of faith that says, I have lived my life. In rebellion against God, what scripture says of me is true. I live my life even today, still by the desires of my flesh and my mind. And, and I have set God aside and I have thought, I'm just going to live my life my way. And maybe it's, you, I'm going to live my life way and I'm going to kind of include God in it somehow. But you haven't believed the message of Jesus and you haven't turned from living life that way to this message that commands your whole life. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is King of the world and He is my Savior who died on a cross for me. And my life is no longer going to be life about me. My life is His because I see His great love for me and the work He's done on my behalf. And why would I try to choose another Savior? And why would I try to be one? For myself by trying to be the best person I can be. See, where's your trust at? When God asks you, when you stand before Him, and every person here, you will stand before God, and He asks you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? See, that. That question reveals where your faith is. Through faith. Do you know the answer? By grace, I've been saved by the blood of Jesus. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. And if that's not good enough, just condemn me. Because I'm not worthy to be here. You know? I'm not saying it's not good enough, you understand. I'm saying that's the sense you ha- ought to have about yourself. By grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. No one is a Christian because of something they've done. No one follows Jesus because of something they've done. It's the power of the grace of God. Dead people don't bring themselves to life. Walk by a graveyard, do it for a long time. See if anybody ever brings themselves to life. Spiritually dead. You can't bring yourself to life. This is not your doing. Your salvation, this is not your doing. You can't work yourself from deadness to life. You can't work yourself out of facing the justice of God. You can't be good enough. You can't give yourself to enough causes. To pride yourself on, to deliver you from the wrath of God that you deserve. You can't be morally upright enough. You can't do enough penance. You can't be kind enough for crying out loud. I'm so tired of the way our culture uses that word. You can't be kind enough. I could could show you how unkind you are. Just give me a couple minutes with you. I'll just irritate the fire out of you for a minute just to show you. You can't be. This is not your own doing. You can't love enough. You can't accept enough things and think that somehow be so accepting in your love of everything to think that somehow that's going to make you right with God. It won't. Because you'll love things that God calls evil. This is not your own doing. See how much easier it is just to have faith in the first... Three verses of this passage. And then you think, it's stupid. Why would anybody think it's their own doing? And why do I live like it's my own doing? It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. You're a Christian because God has given you the greatest gift to bring you into his church, the people whom he has redeemed by his grace. That's who the church is, the people who have received the gift of God. Given to you as a gift. Given to you freely as a gift. Because of the great love with which he loved you. Not a result of works. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. See, church, why do you think the Apostle Paul needed to write this to the Ephesians? I mean, by all estimations, the Ephesian church is healthy. At this stage, in a couple years, if you read First Timothy, it's not healthy anymore. It's a disaster. The whole book of 1 Timothy is about the disaster, and Timothy's there to do the cleanup work. He's there to reform the church. Imagine, imagine that ever being needed. Work to reform the church. But why is he telling them this? So that no one may boast. Because how close? You know this. If you, unless you're lying to yourself by the way, stop lying to yourself about how wicked you are. just stop. You're awful. <laughs> Life is so much more freeing when you just kind of embrace how awful you are, instead of try to cover it up and pretend you're not. I mean, that's miserable. It's so much more freeing when you just actually this is not a result of works. I actually am really awful, and I don't have to boast because I don't have one, and I ought not to think that I have one, and I ought to be not be a smug snob to my spouse and to my children and to uh, the others whom God has redeemed as if I'm somehow have a boast. And there's a real danger in the Ephesian church and in our church for you to think you have a boast. you don't. This is not your own doing. This salvation is the gift of God. And that's it. Because if it's the work of God, then God glorifies himself in your salvation and you receive none of it. And that's the happiest, best place for you to be Rather than living your whole life in rebellion against God, seeking your own glory, your own way, according to your own destructive paths, and listen. Everything that I said in the scripture teaches about sin. What do you see in the world? When you're having a hard time and you're seeing it in yourself this morning, what do you see in the world? Do you look around the whole world and think, this is just a really righteous place? Is that what you see when you look around the world? Why does the question even exist? How could a good God let evil exist in the world? Why does that question even exist? Because you know you don't see righteousness. You know you don't see a world full of good. You know when you look around the world, you see a world filled with evil. And then if you make it more personal and you think about people's lives, and I've just been overwhelmed by people's the nature of how hard life is in this world because it's a sin-cursed world. And people suffer and die in sin-cursed worlds. And you look at people's lives and, and the needs because of sin or being sinned against or life just being hard in a sin-cursed world are completely overwhelming. And so you know that this is true by everything that you see. And you know that men die because of sin. You know that you will die because of sin. And you know that this world is a mess because of sin. And then you see that that's true, and then you being one who's been redeemed, not by your own doing, but by the gift of God, and you look at some of those, how great the needs are. I mean, just some of the... My wife, just by her love for people, could keep this church so hopping busy, we couldn't even keep up with the amount of need that people have just to try to survive day in and day out, to find child care for their kids and to put food on the table, and the amount of chaos that their lives are. And you look at those needs. And you go, well, this is what my life is now in Christ. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. The most important thing is that you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and that you are relying entirely on Him for your salvation, for your forgiveness from sins, for you to receive this immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness. That's the absolute most important thing, that you are reconciled to God, that you have fled the wrath to come and turned from life of trusting in yourself and of pursuing all sinful nature to Christ. That's it. We want you to know Christ and we want you to have all that Scripture is blessing you with here that I feel pitiful trying to explain. You must repent and believe. You must repent and turn to Jesus in faith. Stand with me for prayer, would you? all of you who are wrestling with this nature of repentance and faith, don't turn repentance into a work that somehow makes belief being saved by grace through faith not true and that being free. Don't turn repentance into a work. Father, thank you for your kindness and a grace that I can't explain and which we do not understand, but we thank you, Jesus, that You have done this, Uh, Father, that You have loved us and sent Jesus. And we praise You, Lord Jesus, the head of this church, the head of Your church all across the world, gathered in Your name today on the Lord's day, hearing Your words, being encouraged and comforted, chastised and disciplined, reproved and rebuked, humbled before You in reverence and awe. We praise You. And we give thanks that you gave everything for us. And that we always know the great measure of your love to us with which you have loved us by the cross of Christ. By that hill where you died for us. Where you paid sin's full penalty. Where you bore your father's wrath. Where you loved us until you gave up your last breath. Until All the work was finished for us to be saved. We praise you, Lord Jesus. And we sing to you. In your name. Amen.